series on praying the word. Are we praying the word? You can't pray more effectively than when you pray God's word. God's word is a book not only to read, it's a book to pray. Because the thoughts of God's heart are written in that word. And when we pray back to God, the thoughts that are on his heart, then the scripture assures us we will have the things that we ask when we ask according to his will. So if God said it, you know it's according to his will. Amen? Amen. Well, last Sunday we began looking at the second prayer of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3. We spent several weeks in Ephesians 1 looking at that prayer, but we began last week in Ephesians 3. And this morning we're going to focus on Paul's prayer that the Ephesian Christians might be strengthened with might. Strengthened with might, strengthened with power in our text begins in verse 14, and I invite you to read together with me, where the Apostle Paul says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why? that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And may the Lord add his rich blessing to the reading of his word. And that, we noticed last week, is the end goal of this prayer, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Can we pray a greater prayer? Can we pray a more audacious prayer? The immensity, the magnitude, the glory and the majesty of Almighty God. Paul prays that the Ephesian Christians would be filled with that magnificent God in all of his fullness. Some of us come to church on Sunday morning and just get a little taste of who God is and what he's all about. God's desire for you and for me as his people is that we are filled with all the fullness of God. But how do we get there? We've read in our text this morning that there is a progression and that progression is noted in this passage of Scripture with the four that's. And if you're looking in your Bibles, look for that word, that, and that will show you the transition that brings us to the next thing. But Paul begins with the first one, and we read it in verse 14. I bow my knees before the Father. This is what he's praying. That, 
according to the riches of his glory. This is what he's praying. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. You'll recall last week that we were so encouraged as we reflected on this truth. That God gives to us not out of his riches, but according to his riches in glory. Now, I'm not going to repeat last Sunday's sermon, but I want to say that I believe it is so critically important that we as believers constantly evaluate our view of God. How big is your God? You might say he's a big God, but when you get a big need come into your life, all of a sudden he becomes so minimalized and so small because that need becomes so great. But do we know today that God says, you're my people, you're my children, I'm your Abba, I'm your daddy, and I want to give you according to my riches in glory. He's a rich God. He's an awesome God. He's a mighty God. He has every resource at his disposal. And whatever we have need of, he is able to provide. We need that as a correct theology. We need to ensure that that theology becomes a foundation in our lives so that when the big needs come along, we could say, this is nothing. It's big to me, not big to my God. I mean, how can it be big to God? When this God spoke the universe into existence, he just said the word, and the galaxies appeared. Those galaxies that are billions and billions of years away, those, those exorbitant uh, planets that are hung in space, in perfect rotation, in perfect position. He just spoke them into existence. He created you and me out of the dust of the earth. And here we are having the most intricate, amazing bodies that anyone could even, we can't even begin to comprehend what God in his wisdom created in this human body and we take it for granted. But we need to remember that this body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. This body is a body that is to bring honor and glory to him in the way we live our lives, in the way we speak our words, in the way we look through these eyes, hear through these ears, that we bring honor and glory to God. So a correct theology of who God is and lay that as a foundation in our lives. But in laying that as a foundation in our lives, we must come to see that this foundation needs to, needs to, uh, it needs to develop, it needs to uh, create the way we pray. How do we pray? This, this truth that I'm trying to communicate to you this morning is diametrically opposed to the suggestion, well, God, if I'm really good, 
And if I really work hard for you, then I can have the assurance that you're going to hear and answer my prayer. I want you to know the devil is a liar. We will never merit anything from God because of our good works. Everything good that comes to us comes to us by the grace of God. And yes, of course, when we recognize how good God is to us and when we recognize how he lavishes on us his good gifts, we need to walk a circumspect kind of life. We need to say, God, because you're so good, it's my desire. No one has to coerce me. No one has to force me. It's my desire to love you. It's my desire to serve you. It's my desire to walk in holiness. And we need to be sure that we don't get tripped up by the lies of the enemy and these ungodly belief systems that tell us that somehow we need to do something in order to merit God's favor. His grace is a free gift. And when our hearts are postured before him in a way where it is our desire and all that is within us, says God, I live my life to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. I desire to choose to walk in holiness. There's a yes in my spirit for you. Then God says, I'm not going to withhold anything good from you. God says, I'm going to hear and answer your prayer. There's something else that we need to guard against, and that is this, what we think is a humble kind of attitude. Well, you know, God, God has a lot of responsibility, and I can't bother him with this little need. You ever feel that way? Why would God be concerned with the fact that I have an ingrown toenail? He is. If he sees the tiny sparrow fall of how much more value are you as the redeemed of the Lord. He considers you so valuable that he shed his precious blood. You've not been redeemed with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Are you important to God? You better believe you are important to God. And every need that we have, no matter how small, how insignificant it may seem, it matters to God. So we could cast our cares upon him. So instead of having those kinds of thoughts, this truth needs to so take hold of us that we will pray audacious prayers, that we will pray bold prayers because we say, God, I know who you are. I know you are a great and an awesome God. And because I know who you are, I'm going to ask according to your riches in glory. I'm not asking because I deserve it. I'm not asking because I merit it. I'm not asking because I've been a good boy this week. No, I'm asking according to your grace and according to your riches in glory. Riches beyond anything what we could even begin to imagine. Now, of course, we need to add this note of caution because sometime when we preach like this, 
Some of us are ready to think, okay, God, I'm going to ask you for a Mercedes Benz. God, you know I've been wanting that Corvette for a long time. <laughs> well, we know the Bible tells us that when we ask with selfish motives and for our own good and for our own glory, then James tells us if you ask, you won't receive for you're asking with corrupt motives, seeking only to fulfill your own selfish desires. So that's a little caveat we need to throw in there. But when you're asking because you know that you know that the answer to that prayer and the answer to what you're asking for is going to bring glory to God, and when you know that what you're asking for, when God answers it, it's going to advance his purpose. It's going to advance his agenda. It's going to advance his plans and get him glory. Then that should embolden us. God, this is for your glory. This is going to bring praise to your name. People are going to see the mighty works of God and bless and magnify your name. So I'm going to ask largely. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be timid or shy about what I'm asking. I'm asking so that your great name would be glorified. I came across the story about Martin Luther that beautifully illustrates the importance of praying with the right motives. It was in 1540 that Martin Luther's closest friend and assistant, Frederick Myconius, became critically ill and was expected to die. While he was on his deathbed, he wrote to Luther with a trembling hand and expressed a loving farewell, informing him that, Martin, any day, I'm going home to be with Jesus. Well, when Martin Luther received that heartbreaking news, I mean, you, you know how it is when you, you, you know about someone you love dearly that they are at the brink of death. He quickly sent back this reply, my dear Myconius, I command you in the name of God to live because I still have need of you in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that you're dead, but he will permit you to survive even me. For this I am praying, and may my will be done, listen to this, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. We end our prayers with amen. But our prayers should end with, Lord, I seek only to glorify the name of God. I'm not asking for this because I want it, because my flesh desires it, because it's always been something that I've wanted. So, Lord, uh, you're my daddy, so give it to me, please. Can we say that your name may be glorified? What? confidence and bold faith we can have when we're praying that God's name can be glorified. That's praying in alignment with the will of God. And maybe you'd know the aftermath of that letter when Luther's letter arrived. Myconius had already lost his ability to speak. He was that close to death. But after reading that letter, 
and hearing the word of the Lord that Luther put in that letter, he recovered completely and lived six more years. And he even survived Luther by two months. God was true to his word, but that so beautifully illustrates praying according to the riches, his riches in glory. Yeah, the doctor says, no hope. But when we pray according to his riches in glory, God says, I can do above and beyond anything you could ask, think, or even imagine. And I love those words that John Newton penned. They continue to be a blessing to so many after all of these years. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. Because his grace and power are such, you can never ask too much. Let that be a challenge to all of us today. We serve a big God. He's rich and he's awesome. Is there some mountain in your life? Is there some impossibility today? Get bold and ask your father according to his riches in glory. <laughs> He's a rich God. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. That's what Paul prayed in chapter 1. We don't know God as we ought to know him. We don't see him as we ought to see him. We don't understand the magnitude of his power and his ability to deal with every need, every problem, every sickness, every challenge that we have in our lives. Let God by his spirit, quicken faith in our hearts today. Hallelujah. He's rich in power, rich in might, and rich in majesty. Isn't he the same God who parted the Red Sea? Isn't he the same God who caused those walls of Jericho to crumble like dust? Isn't he the same God that caused water to gush out of the rock? Isn't he the same God on the day of Pentecost that brought 3,000 souls into the kingdom? And isn't he the same God who said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I change not. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Does not his word say, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously? Oh, I love that word graciously huh? he gives to all men liberally James says and upbraideth not he doesn't bring shame or reproach how dare you at no no he he's a how how many loving heavenly fathers would upbraid and condemn or shame or rebuke their children for something that they ask for but they hold them close to their heart and if it's in their ability and for their child's good, they're so happy to give. And if we being evil, Jesus said, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more your heavenly father. See, the whole design of this great salvation that you and I enjoy today is for God to display the riches of his glory. 
We live like paupers, and we're not bringing glory to God. But God says, my plan and my purpose is that through your life, when you come into agreement with my word, with my plan, with my purpose, you will allow me to display the riches of my glory. We read about that in Romans chapter 9. And doesn't he also have the right to release the revelation of the wealth of his glory? God, release the revelation of the wealth of your glory to his vessels of mercy, whom God has prepared beforehand to receive his glory. Did you know? That in eternity past, he foreordained that we would be recipients to receive the riches of his glory. And Paul says, even for us, whether we are Jews or non-Jews, we are those he has called. <laughs> Saints, he has called you to experience the riches of his glory. And so the Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians. And this is a prayer he, the Spirit has for us to pray as well. And so how does he pray? Abba, Father, bless my dear children at the church at Ephesus. A blessing prayer. Does that surprise you? Well, that's not how he prayed. But that's how most of us pray. We pray those blessing prayers. Bless him, bless her, bless this, bless that. Bless this church. Bless the offering. Why aren't we more specific in how we are praying? It seems to me that that blessing word becomes a default that makes us pray in these broad generalities. How does God get glory or show the riches of his glory if we're just going to vaguely pray, oh, Father, bless sister so-and-so and bless brother so-and-so? You know, when you read the prayers in the Bible, they are always very, very specific Granted, Yes, we want the blessings of God, of course. Paul prays for those blessings in a very specific way. What is he going to ask for? He's going to ask according to God's riches in glory. He's praying in boldness. He's praying in confidence. He's praying in faith. He's saying, God, I know who you are. Lord, arise, act in a way that is consistent with the riches of your glory. Show yourself for who you are. And I like how we say sometime at High Street Worship Center, Lord, show up and show off. Don't you love it when God shows up and he shows off according to the riches of his glory? Now let's unpack this petition. He prays that you Ephesians might be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. See, the Apostle Paul believes that it is of first importance that if we are going to get to the end goal, and what is that goal? That we be filled 
with all the fullness of God, there's a progression. There are steps that need to take place. And the first of these is that we might be strengthened with might, strengthened with power by God's spirit in our inner man. When I read that, it caused me to pause and ask, could it be that God isn't able to give us all that he desires? God isn't able to fill us with all of his fullness because that requires that there is a capacity within us to receive what God has for us. And that begs the question that we all need to ask ourselves today. Lord, is there capacity within my heart to receive the riches of your glory? Maybe I'm a pauper because my heart has no place to receive what God has to give me. That reminds me of a prayer that Pastor Bob Santilli would often lead us in praying. Lord, let your word deepen so that your spirit may fill. Oh, that's a great prayer. What, what are we saying when we say, Lord, let your word deepen? Let my life come into alignment with your word. Let me walk in obedience to your precepts and your commandments. For when I do that, then my heart becomes Enlarge to receive what God has for us. Strengthened with might by his spirit in our inner man. What does strengthen? What is this strengthening that the spirit of God wants to do in our hearts? Well, the best way for me to explain the word to strengthen is in the original Greek is to give the definition of what is opposite and the opposite word is discourage. I think we can all identify that with because very often in our walk as Christians, we become so easily discouraged and instead of being mighty in spirit, we're weak in spirit. Oh, we might be physically strong. We might take our vitamins every day and we have a lot of get up and go in our bodies and we could do our exercise regimen, but in our spirit, we are weaklings. We succumb to every suggestion and temptation of the enemy. We, we fall prey to fear and doubt we're discouraged, we forget who God is and all of his greatness. But Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians that they might be encouraged in their inner man. You know, that's why the apostle says the, the bodily exercise profits. You know, it's, it's good to exercise. It's good to keep our body in shape. But... Godliness is profitable unto all things. And being strong in body is good, but I'm telling you, this body is going to weaken and one day find itself in the grave because it can't combat the corruption with which we were created on this earth. 
But thanks be unto God, he's got a glorified body waiting for you and for me. That's our hope. But this outward man is perishing, but the inward man is to be renewed day by day. In the same way you get out there and you do your walk or you get on that treadmill, how about are you, are you exercising your spirit? Are you building muscle in your inner man? Are you getting strengthened? Are you, like David, encouraging yourself in the Lord? And when fear and doubt and circumstances come that make you feel like you want to give up and let go of it all, you say, God, I'm standing on your word. Like Habakkuk, even though the fig tree doesn't blossom and even though there are no cattle in the stalls, even though it looks like the economy is crashing, yet, 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 I will rejoice in the Lord my God. Oh, I will walk upon my high places because God is my victory. God is my joy. God is my rejoicing. That's the portion of the children of God who are mighty in spirit. God wants to encourage us in every way possible. He wants to encourage our life. He wants to encourage our walk, encourage our faith, encourage our love for Jesus by empowering us on the inside. Now, when we hear that word power, we need to be careful. Here's another little caveat that I need to mention because some Christians, when they hear power, yeah, give me, give me power. I, I want to do miracles. I, I want to do signs and wonders. So people can say, hey, look at that person. They're so full of God. They, they like Peter. People just walk by them and they're, they're healed and they're delivered and they're set free. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But first of all, it is wrong if you're doing it because you want people to say, look at what a mighty man or mighty woman of God that you are. That's not the power that God is most interested in giving us. And yet in charismatic circles, it seems to be that's what we're most infatuated with. We want the power. No, we were singing this morning, Holy Spirit rain down. Some of us are thinking, yeah, Lord, when you rain down, that means you're going to fill me with power. And he will fill us with power. But he said he's going to baptize us first with fire. You want the Holy Ghost? Do you want fire? Fire to burn up what's corrupt. Fire to burn up the flesh. Fire to burn up what's selfish in us. What is contrary to God? What doesn't look like Jesus? That's what he wants to do in us. That's the power he wants to give us. That we could rise up above sin. That we could live victorious lives. And that through our walk and through our life, God can be glorified. And how does it happen? It happens by the Holy Spirit. You can't do this in your own strength. Oh, if I, if I come to church every Sunday, well, you need to come to church every Sunday, but going through a religious ritual isn't going to do anything for you. You need to engage your heart with God and open your heart and say, God, let there be a greater capacity in my heart for more of the Holy Spirit to do what he needs to do in my life. Oh, how we need the, oh, how we need the Holy Spirit. How we need to hunger and thirst for the Holy Spirit. There was a book that was written that 
became almost a classic good morning Holy Spirit because it pointed out to the truth and the challenge that we as Christians forget that without the Holy Spirit and walking in communion and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, how does God talk to us? He talks to us by His Spirit. How do we read the Bible and get anything out of it? It's by the Holy Spirit. How do we as believers do what we're called to do? It's by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you this morning, I could never stand here and preach the Word of God apart from the Holy Spirit sometime I pour over my notes and I say God I don't even know what I'm going to say today but I need your Holy Spirit because it's only the Holy Spirit of God that can make your truth real to the hearts of your people it's the Holy Spirit see the Holy Spirit makes us what we're not and uses us in ways that we could never ever imagine God could use us I am the most unlikely person in the world to stand behind this pulpit. I was the shyest kid in the world. I know that's an exaggeration, but I was. And by nature, I'm still an introvert. God enables me by his spirit to be outgoing because that's not my nature. When I was a little boy in Sunday school and we, we did our Christmas program, do you know how I did my piece? I could not look in the faces of the people. But if God could do this for me, could he do it for you? And it's the Holy Spirit who does in us what he needs to do to transform us and change us and equip us if we're willing vessels, if our hearts are open and hungry. It is not by might, it is not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. See, the Holy Spirit is that supernatural provision making us all that God called us to be, making us mighty in spirit. And why is Paul praying that they might be strengthened with might by God's spirit in their man? Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There's a connection with being mighty in spirit and being empowered by the spirit of God in our inner man with this all-important aspect of our Christian life, and that is Christ dwelling in our hearts. See, if we're not mighty in spirit, then we don't believe God's word. If we're not mighty in spirit, then we're going to go by anything and everything but what God said in his word. Now, the prayer that he's praying is so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And some of you are going to say, well, Pastor Way, that confuses me. When I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart on that day, 10 years, 5 years, whenever it was, I knelt at an altar and I repented of my sin and I invited Jesus into my heart. D didn't he come in? Yes, he came in. But today, do you know the reality of Christ living in our hearts? Don't think that the Apostle Paul is saying that when the Holy Spirit came in at your conversion experience that he didn't change you. Yes, he changed you. For if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away and all things become new. 
But there is an ongoing work that God wants to do in our life. And it begins with this foundation that Christ is dwelling on the throne of our hearts. And that word dwell, it means he's making himself at home. How many of us know God's not interested in Sunday visits? There's so many Christians in America today that are darkening church doors because that's what I should do. I'm a Christian. And then they walk out of the door and forget that they're a Christian, forget that Jesus is ruling and reigning in their hearts or wants to, and they live according to everything they think, what they feel, what they want. But are we crucified with Christ? Do we die daily so that Christ may live his life in and through us? Does Jesus feel at home and is he comfortable in our hearts? How does it happen? It happens by faith. Faith. You know what faith is? Committing yourself, believing in what God said in his word. And you could put a period there because someone said, oh, yeah, I believe, but. But you don't know what I'm going through. Yeah, I believe that God heals, but this pain doesn't want to quit. Oh, I believe God answers prayer, but, you know, this is really humanly impossible. Of course it's humanly impossible. God specializes in what is humanly impossible. That's why Jesus was born of a virgin. That's why Elizabeth gave birth in her old age when she was barren all of her life. Because God does the impossible. He shows forth the glory of his riches when he does the impossible. But it takes faith. Thomas said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Well, God bless you, Thomas. What did Jesus impart to you for three and a half years? <laughs> Jesus made sure that he had a come-to-Jesus meeting with him. And he met up with Thomas one day. Thomas didn't have to do anything. He just looked at him and knew that Jesus indeed had risen from the dead. And he said, Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you hear what Jesus said? Those have not seen. Those who don't have any evidence, whatever. How do you know God is real? Have you seen God with these eyes? <laughs> but if you've seen him with the eyes of your heart, then you could believe God, open the eyes of our heart. May we believe even when we can't see. Because faith is the evidence of things not seen. You don't need to demonstrate faith if you could see. You need to demonstrate faith when you can't see. You need to demonstrate faith when you can't feel. And the biggest enemy of our faith is our feelings. There are certain things that I've come across in my life that are just a rich treasure, black ink on white paper. So I print those things out, and I keep them in a file where I refer to them 
every time, from time to time because they always help my perspective. And because I'm human, I have feelings. And I will confess to you, they get in the way sometime. And they hinder my faith. So you know what I do? I pull out that paper. It was written by John Piper. My feelings are not God. God is God. If you don't get anything else from this sermon today, get this. Your feelings are not God. Your emotions are not God. God is God. My feelings do not define truth. God's word defines truth. And he continues, my unhappiness in life is due to the fact that I am listening to myself instead of talking to myself. Ah, is that a secret? We need to start talking to ourselves. We need to start rehearsing and declaring the word of God and not listening to the voice of the enemy who's speaking fear and doubt and discouragement into our hearts. Stop listening to that voice. Start declaring. Start talking to yourself. Start declaring the word of the Lord. My mind is telling me the facts, but God's truth is declaring his will. My mind is rehearsing what the doctor told me, but whose report will you believe? I will believe the report of the Lord. So if I choose to believe the facts and I allow my circumstances to determine my feelings, then I'm defeated. But if I will believe and confess the truth of God's word and bring my feelings into alignment with the word of the Lord, then I am more than conqueror through him who has loved us. My Christian brother or sister today, I just want to encourage you to know that you have an Abba Father who is too wise to ever make any mistake. An Abba Father who is ordering our steps according to his will, according to his plan, according to his purpose. He's too kind to bring injury or harm into my life, but he says, Everything that you might see as negative or bad, I'm using it for your good and for my glory. Does it get any better than that? If it's for my good and it's for his glory, that's what I live for as a Christian. I want to know that God, whatever it is that's happening to me, is for my good and it's for your glory. So in that I rest and in that I trust. The facts will always cast our soul into despair, but the truth of God's word will lift our spirits into the heavenlies where we are seated together with Christ, where God desires to display the riches of his glory. So let's make it our prayer this morning. Lord, strengthen us encourage us in our inner man that we might rise up to be mighty in spirit, mighty for you and mighty for your honor and glory. Will you believe God's word today? Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer.